Hello, hello, hello. It's Jan Goldstein. And we're at All That Matters, our weekly podcast. So glad you're here. Each and every week. I love talking to you. I love sharing stories with you. I love hearing back how you're reacting to this podcast, to the people I talk about, to the world in which these stories take place, because stories truly do shape us. In our lives, there are individuals who will stand out, who have touched us in unimaginable ways. Can you think of someone right now? I have a story for you. Stay tuned. I did want to say that in one of my early podcasts, I talked to you about conductor-composer John Williams. He is now celebrating his 90th birthday, and I want to shout out to John Williams and all who know his music that have touched our lives. What a wondrous man, and he continues to be a creative spirit in the world. I give thanks for his creative spirit. Send out birthday wishes. May they reverberate and reach each and every one who celebrates creativity. The turbulent world of the 1930s and early 1940s is the backdrop for the story of a very special man, Kurt Broner, and of his coming of age. A more perilous passage through adolescence would be difficult to imagine. Kurt was a child of Budapest, Hungary, and as a Jew growing up during the rise of Nazi power, his family and friendships were extremely precious. And as pressure increased in his country and city to capitulate to the Germans, whose menacing influence was growing rapidly in Hungary, the only thing Kurt could truly count on was the faith that his neighbors would protect him, his family, and their property in times of need. The city of Budapest is actually made up of what were once two cities, Buda and Pest, separated by the Danube River. Now, Kurt's neighborhood was on the Buda side, home of the Buda royal castle and other symbols of Hungary's former glory. Kurt was an only child, or as he told me, the spoiled center of his father, Irvin, and his mother, Zelma. His family lived in the area known as the Hill of the Roses, and growing up, he played like every other child among the neighborhood of children, and his family was fully integrated into Hungarian life. But with the growth of the Third Reich, the divisiveness and grim reality of hatred, it began to creep into Kurt's world, and when he was 17 years old, he was ripped from his family and drafted into a Hungarian labor brigade. Take it from his beloved Hill of the Roses, Kurt was forced into harsh working conditions in the Transylvanian countryside, and there, wearing the yellow armband, identifying him as a Jew, Kurt tasted cruelty in the ugly guise of patriotism. Nevertheless, he held to the dream that this nightmare would somehow pass and that he would soon be reunited with his family on the Hill of Roses 
in a Budapest that had been restored to its senses. Now, after several months in forced labor conditions, Kurt and some of his fellow workers managed to pool what money they had in order to pay off the soldiers who were finishing their tenure in the battalion. And rather than be sent off to another front or labor camp, Kurt and his friends bribed their way back to Budapest to find their families. However, soon after his miraculous and joyous return home, the Hungarian Nazis seized political control of the nation. Kurt and his family knew that the Third Reich would soon move in and began deporting Jews, and the very existence of his family would be threatened. So after painful deliberations, Kurt's parents decided to turn over their home and possessions to their neighbors for protection, and the three of them moved into a safe house. Now, safe houses were locations such as apartments or attics or warehouses that could house up to 150 enemies of the Nazi state whose lives were at risk. So for Jews and other undesirables under the swastika, safe houses were all that stood between them and probable death. In Budapest, Kurt, Irvin, and Zelma Broner were taken into a safe house that was one of many set up by Swedish diplomat Raoul Wallenberg, a man today who is considered one of the great heroes of modern times for his courageous act to save thousands of Jews from Hitler's death camps. The Broner safe house was considered particularly secure because it was located in a dwelling over which flew the Swedish flag. But after only two weeks, an emerging power within Hungary, the Arrow Cross Party, moved through Budapest like a steamroller, seeking out and destroying those who harbored undesirables. It became extremely dangerous for the Hungarian people to harbor Jews at all. If discovered, they could be deported alongside those that had sought to rescue that they had sought to rescue. So members of the Arrow Cross Party marched through the streets in the late months of 1944. They were liquidating the safe houses and preparing their thousands of detainees for transport out of Hungary. And unbeknownst to those arrested, to the death camps of Poland and Germany. After their discovery and forced preparation to leave their beloved homeland, Kurt and his father, already separated from Zelma, were waiting to board the trains when Kurt saw a possible opening, begged his father to escape with him. Perhaps they could flee into the woods or find shelter with a relative elsewhere. But Kurt's dad, like many Jews who had been integrated into their countries in those days, could not begin to imagine the evil on the horizon. He told Kurt that they would just be taken to a labor camp and they'd be forced to build roads or mine coal and they would simply have to wait out the war. He was certain that the family would eventually be allowed to return to their home in Budapest where they could reclaim their property from their loyal neighbors. With this promise echoing in his ears, Kurt soon found himself in a cattle car with his father, beginning a journey into the farthest reaches of hell. Inside each train car, wall-to-wall bodies struggled for space, room to move, flesh pressing hard up against flesh, as people strained for air in the suffocating confusion. 
Now, the stench from the sweat and from those who were losing control of their bodily functions were nearly beyond endurance, Kurt told me. After several days of travel, they were allowed out into a snow-covered field where they were able to relieve themselves and gulp some fresh air, roll out the corpses of those who had succumbed to the deadly conditions. The living were handed a single slice of bread and packed back into their inhumane prison for another five days of travel into darkness. Kurt and his father were unknowingly on their way to the transit center known as Bergen-Belsen. It was here that tens of thousands of people would become victims of typhoid and starvation while waiting to be sent to the larger and even more deadly death camps in Poland. In route, Kurt and his father spoke desperately of Zelma. Where had they taken her? Would she be okay? Their fears overwhelmed them even as they struggled to hold on to one another. And while all around them grown men wept and cries of despair echoed on the rails. On arriving, Kurt and his father disembarked from their stifling cattle car, blinked into the harsh daylight, and took in the depraved setting that was Bergen-Belsen. How would they find Zelma in all of this, they thought in anguish. And from the first day, they began a nightmare of life circumscribed by the Nazi regimen. Each daybreak, the prisoners were expected to report for inspection outside their crude living quarters. One morning, Kurt awoke early. Though sleeping close to his father on the scant sheet of wood that was their bed, he was unusually cold that morning. Kurt heard some of his fellow prisoners chanting the morning prayers. He asked them to quiet down, for his father was still asleep and there were still a few moments until inspection. He knew that his father could use all the rest he could manage. One of the men turned to him with sad eyes and said softly, Kurt, your father's dead. He died during the night. Kurt turned slowly, fearful, to witness the sight of his father's body. Slowly it dawned in him, This was the cold he had felt. Kurt sobbed into the heartbreak of his father's lifeless body, rocking the two of them as if he would never let go. A short time later, Kurt stumbled from the inspection line to which the others had dragged him and lost in his mourning for his father. Kurt found himself by the barbed wire separating the women's quarters from the men where he often went searching for his mother incredibly now he looked up into the eyes of the woman he had been searching for there stood his mama he felt he would burst with the ache within him and the joy of seeing her again they had not set eyes on one another since the horror of leaving budapest His mother looked beaten down with worry and hunger, but her features came alive instantly when she saw her only son. But now she was searching frantically behind him. Kurt! Kurt, where's Papa? Kurt could not bear to destroy his mother's hope that morning. So he lied. Papa is sleeping, Mama. 
he heard himself say before being separated yet again by guards. Kurt would never see his mother again. In April 1945, Bergen-Belsen was liberated by American soldiers. One of Kurt's first memories of liberation was being sprayed with DDT by medical personnel to delouse the survivors. He was taken to a former German Air Force officer's camp, being used as a temporary hospital by the Americans. He and 10 others were known were shown to a bedroom by one of the American officers, and Kurt and the others piled in dutifully. The soldiers looked bemused, shaking their heads. In English, which they had a hard time following, he tried to make clear that this was a bedroom for one man. They would each get their own. Kurt listened, tried to make sense of what the man was saying. After having spent so much time crammed into claustrophobic spaces with so many others, the idea of having a room for oneself seemed beyond comprehension. Kurt's sense of awe knew no bounds when he discovered that connected to this room was a private bathroom. Do you know what dignity is? Kurt told me. Dignity is being allowed to go to the bathroom in privacy. Think of that. What struck him that moment was, I can actually have my own space to go to the bathroom. In the early stages of his recovery, Kurt chose to go back to Budapest in search of his mother. There was no trace of her. He soon discovered what he feared most. She had perished in the death camps. He returned to his old neighborhood, hoping to recover a few of his parents' possessions, but rather than offering the warmth of a homecoming, Kurt's old neighbors feigned ignorance. They insisted he was mistaken, that his mother and father had never left property with them. Kurt told me he stared into their faces in disbelief. This young man whose body and spirit had already experienced the deepest of wounds, wounds now found his heart and soul lashed by this callous and outrageous betrayal. He was now an orphan of family and home, and he would end up in a displaced person's camp where he would earn his keep translating Hungarian and German documents. But this is not the end of Kurt's story. Kurt would go on to find love, to find new life in America, and then to be challenged by descendants of a Nazi in the American town of Cleveland. For that story, stay tuned. Part two next week. A remarkable story of a remarkable human being. My dear friend Kurt passed away recently. And as his daughter texted me, heaven has a new angel. Listen to his story next week and you'll find what a remarkable angel this man is and of the ultimate triumph of the spirit that was created 
out of a man's heart, pain, and inner power to see forgiveness and to create hope. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. Thank you.